Hey, Pastor Scott Rambo here. Join us as we enter into our classroom for this episode and see what it truly means to be followers of Christ. All right, Matthew 18. We're going to start reading in verse 21. Uh, Go ahead and, and get turned there. The heading for our study tonight is forgiveness according to Jesus. Forgiveness according to Jesus. The question was posed on our uh, group me chat. said, how much patience should someone have when it comes to long-suffering? Really good question. Ms. Stephanie gave us that question. She made sure to tell us that it wasn't personal, although it's, this is personal to all of us. Really, it is. Anytime we talk about a virtue, a godly virtue, that's a characteristic of God that shows forth through the life of a Christian. Right, it's a characteristic or attribute when we talk about the virtue of God, right, uh, or the forgiveness of God. It's a virtue when we say the forgiveness of a Christian, right? God's attribute shown through the life of sinful people is a virtue. In other words, what I'm saying is we ain't born with this kind of stuff. It's against our nature to forgive. It's against our nature to have patience. It's against our nature to be long-suffering with first our Christian family and then the world, which is really a, a completely different discussion. Matthew 18 does touch on, on um, relationships and communication and long-suffering patience forgiveness towards people of this world, right? But, but really we're, we're talking about us, which if you really want to get into it, it sometimes it's easier to forgive someone in the world because they're they're in the world, right? We we get hung up sometimes when we it's my fellow Christian who who has brought air against me, who has grieved me. Uh, so going into this, know that none of us are perfect in this, right? None of us will be perfect in this until we reach glory. The the only hope that we have and the faith that I have in Christ is that I will get better. In this, I should, as I mature and as I go through my sanctification process, I should get better at this. But if you, at any point through this study, start scratching your head and, and go, ooh, that's pretty rough. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And we're a liar if we say we're not. Right? So, great question. Um, really hard topic. But most of the time when we're dealing with ourselves. It's hard topics, right? It's hard topics. But we'll read uh, from verse 21 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Miss Stephanie gave us the question, which I found was awesome, because Peter asks Christ this same question. And then Jesus teaches on this. He gives us the answer to this question. So that's why it's uh, titled Forgiveness According to Jesus. This isn't according to Scott because I may have a different interpretation of what forgiveness is, but Christ's interpretation of forgiveness is uh, exactly what it is. So let's read chapter 18, verse 21. says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying have patience with me and I will repay you everything and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and he seized him and began to choke him saying pay back what you owe So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. 
but he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, he, uh, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I, forgive, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, uh, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then verse 35, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. All right? So some key things to to catch on this as we go through this overview of uh, Matthew 18. Peter asked the questions, how many times can somebody transgress me and I forgive them? In other words, is there a cutoff point, right? Is there, is there a time where I can say no more, you've transgressed me seven times, 11 times, 50 times, whatever number this is, can I, can I then say no forgiveness is given, right? That's the question that's posed to us. We all know the answer, but you know how we like to do things around here. We like the Bible to tell us tell us the answer. Well, technically it's 490, right? Right, and we're going we're gonna to get into that, 490. Yeah, 70 times 7, we can do it in our head, right? Don't get ahead of me in my notes, brother. Don't get ahead of me in my notes. There you go, Brother Gene. <laughs> yeah, Brother Gene, you're getting it. But, uh... So that's the question that's posed, and the first thing that we see is Peter uh, gives a number, right? So he says seven times. Should, should I? He asks a question, and then before Jesus can answer, he answers his own question. He says, how many times can someone transgress me, my brother, right? We're talking about a fellow Christian. How many times can a Christian transgress me or sin against me, as the Bible says, and I forgive him? Seven times? Right? That seems pretty generous right seven times seven times yeah jesus says not seven but 70 times seven 490 right but the gist of all of this is we really shouldn't be keeping count right we, we really shouldn't be keeping count and, and we'll get into that then the parable starts right jesus loves parables he loves to use common words to describe a heavenly idea something that is beyond us right we we just all agreed when we shook our head when i said patience forgiveness the virtues of god that isn't in us right it's only the christ that's in us the spirit of god that illuminates those virtues through us right it's the spirit so the story that he gives is of a, a lord a king who calls his slaves in that owes him debt and wants to uh, tally the books, right? He wants to balance the books. He wants, he wants to collect what is owed him. And a slave is brought in that owes 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, that's a lot of money. You can do the math, go into the Greek. With, there's really not a lot of time for that. But basically, uh, 10,000 talents was roughly 200,000 years wages. Okay, so that one slave would have had to work two hundred thousand years to pay back what the king, what he owed the king. Sixty million working days. Sixty million working days, two hundred thousand years wages. Right? Uh, that's a lot. It's impossible. Right? It's impossible. The the king knew this. The slave knew this. Everybody that was in that court that day knew this. Everybody that was in that land. If that slave owed that much money to the king, everybody knew that, right? Everybody knew that. So then the king asked a question, or not a question, he really gives a command, pay me what is owed me. Now, now is the day. And the slave said, I can't, right? The king knew that. So then he says, okay, you're going to be thrown in prison. Your wife and kids, everything you owe is going to be sold to go towards this debt, which was a drop in the bucket, really. It wouldn't have paid anything. 
Then the slave did something that all of us would do. He begged, right? Don't, please don't do this. The word of God said that he laid prostrate, right? He, he got as low as he possibly could and begged the king not to do this. And the king did something that nobody expected, right? They all expected the slave to beg, beg for his life, right? They never expected the king to go, all right, never mind. But he did, okay? So then that slave goes out after being freed from 200,000 years worth of work, freed. Not only him, but his family's freed. Everything that he owed is, is, is done away with. The debt is canceled. All of his possessions is, is still his. Everything is perfect, right? Then he goes out and finds another slave. He's not a king. He's not a lord. He's one of us. And he goes and finds another one of us that owed him 100 denarii, right? That's 100 days worth of work, okay? Not even a half of a year. And commences the choking him. <laughs> and says, give me, give me what I owe. And this is a Jewish tradition, believe it or not. The Jewish tradition, according to the rabbis, you were taught that if you had aught with your brother, which we're about to get into, get into that, that's why the whole chapter is, is the context. Right before this is church discipline, right? 15 through verse, uh, verses 15 through 20. Uh, if you have aught with your brother, you could not bring him to court unless your hands were wrapped around his neck. That was literally the, the tradition. You have done everything up until the point of killing a man, and he won't pay you, so then you, then you drag him into court and you sue him for possessions. So, yeah, he's, he's choking him. And he says, pay me what you owe. He says the same words that the king said to him, right? And then the man turns around and says the same thing. He begs and says the same thing. Let me go, and I'll pay you everything that I owe. But instead of forgiveness, it was the opposite of forgiveness, right? He wraps his hands around his neck. He chokes him and about to drag him into court. He's doing the, the law of the land. Everybody who knows the debt's been repaid, okay, this man is no longer what he was. Uh, word gets back to the king. The complete account gets back. King calls the former slave back in and says exactly what we all know. Is, I forgave you a huge debt and you couldn't forgive this little thing. So you are now in torture and torment. So that's the context of the lesson. Uh, the short of it is we need to forgive as we've been forgiven, right? That's what the Bible says. We've been forgiven a, a, an impossible debt, an impossible debt. It's, just, it's been canceled. It's been wiped away. The Bible says it's been cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. And uh, the struggle is to forgive others, is to forgive others. But we need to remember everything that we do is based upon the act of love that has been done to us. It's done to us. Bible says what in the Gospel of John? They will know that you're my disciples by what? The love that you have one for another. First John goes back uh, into it again. Uh, John the Revelator, four Johns, Gospel of John, first, second, third John, same John. He's recording Jesus in the Gospel of John. The Apostle John says echoes the exact same thing in the litany of tests, right? There's eight tests that you can prove to yourself and to others that you are a believer over and over again. At the end of every one of those tests, he says ultimately... It's the love of the brethren that shows that you are a true believer. To set yourself aside and love others. Because that goes, that goes completely against our nature. Right? I need to look after me, and when I'm satisfied, I can love others. But the problem is, is that we're never fully satisfied, so I can never truly love others. But when Christ comes in and we become this 
new creature. We walk in the goodness of his light. We're pulled out of darkness. We have the ability to overcome our sin nature. We've been released from that, right? We've been forgiven that debt. What we was bound to before, we're not bound anymore. Does that mean we're sinless? No, we've said that before, but it means we should sin less, right? We're not sinless, but we should sin less. So this is a difficult text. It, it, it truly is. It demands, uh, it demands much from us. This is not an easy command to forgive others, especially when, uh, when most of the time we, we find ourselves on the receiving end of, of this. We're, we're not the one at fault. We're the, one, we're the victim in this, right? But forgiveness needs to come nevertheless, nevertheless. The text in its context, if you want to uh, go back and study uh, chapter 18, uh, the chapter begins with the disciples asking who is the greatest in the kingdom. Okay, this, that's how it starts off in verse 1. Jesus puts a, a child in amongst them and says this phrase, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus continues by saying that it would be better for us to be drowned in the depths of the sea than to put a stumbling block in the path of one of these little ones, a.k.a. Christians. Christians, right? This, this verse has been taken out of context um, quite frequently to talk about children, which obviously the Bible does talk about children, and we are supposed to raise them right, and we are supposed to protect them, and that's definitely a truth of the Bible. But chapter 18 of Matthew is talking about Christians, so the little ones are the, the vulnerable ones, the ones that... Christ says it would be better for you to have a millstone cast around your neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. Is talking about Christians, to lead Christians astray. That's why it's so important for us to be doctrinally sound, to not be false teachers, to call out those who are false teachers, because to lead one of God's sheep astray, it's vast consequences. It's really, really, really bad, really bad. Christ said, talking to the Pharisees who obviously fall into that category of false teachers, unfortunately, said that their day of judgment is going to be worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Uh, Jesus, he's greatly concerned with the vulnerability of people and calls us to share in his concern. We're supposed to walk as Christ walked, right? He was concerned, so... We, we should be concerned too. We should be. Jesus continues uh, with a parable of the lost sheep, right? The, the great shepherd, the lost sheep. Great shepherd, is, he's not content uh, to have 99 safe sheep but risk everything to save the one lost sheep. We can all say amen to that because we was that lost sheep at one time. Uh, many, of us, um, many of us know people like that. Nines of the great shepherd in this parable, every sheep is important. None is, none is expendable. Just because one is lost, the world would say, well, you still have 99. You know, you, you've only lost 1% of, of your sheep. Count your losses and go on. Christ says, no, he's going to go out and find that one. Uh, great parable, because when the one is found, he, it's put upon his shoulders and he's carried He's carried back in. So not only does the great shepherd care about us, but when he does find us in that place, he doesn't end us right there. He puts us back into the fold. Jesus then offers detailed guidance regarding the handling of conflict in the church. That's what we call church discipline. Matthew 18, verse 15 through uh, verse 20. No care is, uh, is too great. The object of is reconciliation reconciliation many many people get church discipline wrong it's not to cast finger or blame at somebody but it is reconciliation it is supposed to be uh, not punishment but uh, a reality check to that one who is in willful sin to repent and come back into the come back into the fold so 
the object is reconciliation and our obligation is to pursue reconciliation even at great cost of time and energy of time and energy uh, the penalty it's severe for those who refuse to respond to the reconciliation process but the process is designed not to punish but to open the eyes of the offender to the seriousness of the offense and to bring him or her back into the fold back into the fold we cannot abide with willful sin in the church that's that's, that's just something we cannot do and when it's brought to light we must deal with it but never deal, dealt with it uh, outside of love everything that we do should be in love in love it should be for the betterment of that person right I'm doing this for the betterment of that person I'm not doing this because I've been waiting for you to mess up and now's my chance to, to cut you at the quick and lock the door behind you when you leave it's not supposed that's not what church discipline is about <clears throat> no care is too great when dealing with God's children that's something that we need to remember we're not dealing with with just people we're dealing with people chose by God to be the bride of Christ and we need to take great care and to remember that even though this person may have done a great offense to me that ultimately God is going to bring about repentance should should bring about repentance <clears throat> and that should be our prayer it really should be our prayer is that you repent and it doesn't get to the to the to the, the open ridicule part of church discipline that I come to uh, Sister Denise and I say hey you've done this thing to me you may or may not even notice that you did it but you've done it and then Denise goes oh I am I am so sorry and we, we we repent to each other we cast our cares upon each other we pray with each other and then that's supposed to be the end of it it's supposed to be the end of it the problem is is when we forgive but we don't forget we don't forget that's getting back to verse 21 where we're going to to stay at uh, for the remainder of this is it's not three times or seven times or ten times or 490 times it's every time every time as long as there's repentance the 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 thing is if that person is unrepentant we can't do anything with that we, we really we really can't except for pray and continue to be forgiving when and if that time ever comes, right? And to accept them back in and to uh, really be like the, the, the father in the prodigal son story, be ever watching, be ever waiting. And as soon as they turn, to not wait for them to come and gro grovel at us, but to run and meet them and bring them back in, right? Bring them back in. <clears throat> we cannot write off a fellow Christian. We're talking about true believers, right? True believers, not someone playing church. Church discipline does weed out those who, First John says, they left from us because they were never truly of us, right? That's not who we're talking about tonight. We're talking about true, true believers who have erred, who have fallen short, who have missed the mark, right, like all of us have. Uh, but we can't write off fellow Christians. But how many times do we really see that, though? we really see that and it's sad it truly is and that's really an american thing is it's a we're a throwaway culture right you're you're i'm good with you as long as you're good with me and if there's some friction or something well i'll just find another you it's we're a dime a dozen that's the the world culture the world church says uh, it's, i'll just find another brother gene it's not a big deal the bible says there's only one brother gene and, and God has gloriously saved Brother Gene. And whether or not me and Brother Gene are, are jiving right now really matters not in eternity. We need to forgive each other and we need to move on because with all between me and Brother Gene, we're, we're really vexing the spirit. We're really grieving the spirit. We're really not doing anything for the kingdom, right? We're, we're really hurting our testimony. Yeah. We're really hurting our testimony, and, and we've seen the other side of that, too. When you go and witness, and someone says something to the effect of, oh, yeah, you go to that church? Man, I remember 15 years ago, such and such happened. Like, 
yeah, okay, that may or may not happen. I've only been there for three, right? And you're like, oh, well, let me, let, let me sit down with you and let me tell you what happened. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Had nothing to do with that. Neither does that matter about today, right? That doesn't matter about today. Forgiveness, but not forgetfulness. We, we've, become, we've become like elephants in the kingdom, right? I, I won't forget anything. I can't forget nothing except for the, the key verses that tell us to, to move on, right? <laughs> so our text then simply extends, uh, extends the concerns of the earlier part of the chapter, right? By calling us to uh, throw away the calculator, throw away the tally sheet, and uh, to forgive, to forgive. The central issue is not justice, but reconciliation. Over and over again, the Bible tells us what? That God will bring, will see his own vengeance, right? He is the justice. We seek reconciliation. If justice is needed, that's God's business, and he will take care of his business. He will take care of his business. Now, discernment does come in. For when we know, right, when we can know that God has taken over, right, and we'll get into that. We're not made to be spiritual punching bags, okay? There is a time, there is a time when forgiveness can't be met, but we have to make sure that we have done everything that we can to seek forgiveness. Ultimately, forgiving that person no matter what. Now, that person may not forgive us. That person may, may not ever want to seek that, but I still have to forgive that person. I still have to. I cannot go into eternity with aught in my heart, right? I can't do that. Now, most of the time you'll find when and if it comes to that point to where a, a disagreement can't be settled spiritually, then probably one of us aren't who we say we are because the spirit within us seeks to be in unity with the brethren, right? With the brethren. So forgiveness. Our text uh, before us, it's, it's about forgiveness. If you have a, a Bible that has uh, the, the, the headings, before them, that's literally what it says above verse 21. Forgiveness. That's what this is about. Uh, it's a difficult word to hear because we find forgiveness difficult. Uh, obviously, we do. Uh, both to receive and to give. It's hard to receive forgiveness when I'm not ready to forgive you. Right? It's hard to give forgiveness when the other person isn't ready to forgive you. But forgiveness has to be met. It's, this isn't a suggestion from Christ. This is a commandment from Christ. We have to forgive. We have to forgive. Uh, it's also, it's an urgent word because receiving and giving forgiveness is central to our faith. It, it truly is. It's central to our faith. Christ didn't mix any words. He says, forgive others because of my Father who forgave you. Right? This is... This is not a secondary issue. This is a core doctrine of our faith. If forgiveness isn't in your heart, then you probably haven't been forgiven, right? That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Now, we're not saying that's, that's the first thing. Like, if I'm offended, it may take me a day or two. It may take me a week or two. It may take me a length of time, let's just put it that way, to get to this point where we're talking about but this point has to, has to be met, right, at some point, at some point. First, we receive God's forgiveness. That has to be the first thing. You have to have received forgiveness from God to be able to give forgiveness, right? We can pass on only that which we have received. If you haven't been forgiven, you don't know what forgiveness is. You, you really don't. Having experienced forgiveness at the hands of God and God's people, we are then called to make it possible for others to experience it, right? Others to experience. Thus, the circle of Christ's love expands ever wider to encircle one more 
lost sheep, right? One more lost person and another and another. This isn't cheap grace, okay? This isn't cheap grace. God isn't suggesting that we regard offenses as unimportant, okay? Sin is sin. It is a transgression against a thrice holy God. And if anybody, especially a Christian, finds themselves in willful sin, that is a horrible place to be. That is a horrible place to be. You are no good, the Bible says, for the kingdom. You are unfit for the kingdom. Okay? And ultimately, if you go into eternity with willful sin in your life, you slip off into eternity and you do not inherit the kingdom of God. That is Bible. Okay? Now, for us who have been forgiven, at some point, you will be brought as low as you possibly have to be, up and into death, in order to repent from this sin. It's not cheap grace, nor is he suggesting that we wink at sin. We do not wink at sin. He's calling us to take sin seriously and then take forgiveness equally as seriously. Okay? So once you remember, bring back to your remembrance the egregious sin that you've been forgiven from. We are supposed to take forgiveness just that serious because God takes forgiveness serious. He takes your sin that he can't even look upon, that he abhors, that he hates, and he throws it away, chooses to forget that, that like only God can. He chooses to forget something that he's known since eternity past, right? That's the hard part for us is to take an offense and a sin, even up to the point of forgiveness. I, I, I have, me and Brother Gene, we're tight again, right? We're good. We're, we're potnaz, as we say. But in the back of my mind, I'm always waiting for Brother Gene to do that thing that he done to me again, right? That's not the way we should live our life. That's really not the way we should live our life. If true repentance has come, and we're, we're going to get into that in Luke. It's coming up very quickly, Luke 17. If repentance has come, then repentance has come. Forgiveness is met, and we need to move on from that, from that point, from that point. It's like me and Brother Gene have met for the first time again, and nothing up until that point matters. It's, it's a new start. Carrying on. And that's it. It gets to the point that the other deal from the other side, because especially if it's another Christian, we need to pray. It doesn't mean that I have to be the first one to go say, hey, when are you going to apologize? That's been that conversation. That doesn't work real well. But we need to be in prayer about that because that's a a burden that is a, like as you said, especially if it's someone that's a brother that, Mm -hmm. and we're in. And it hurts our fellowship wise, it hurts our fellowship, and it, it hurts the fellowship of the whole body. Absolutely. And it and it makes that there's not necessarily this enmity with you and God, but there's and it's something there that's a disruption in your own walk that you you know you need to see it correctly because when you when you do forgive somebody that's done you wrong, I mean, that shackles and things just Oh yeah. Chains are broken at that point. Of and you're like you know, all of that, all all along, you know, I felt like I was the, the one who should <coughs> receive forgiveness or yeah. receive, you know. Yeah. Somebody should be coming to me, but right. Hey, if you if it's a deal where you end up going to that person, then you know, God blesses that that whole deal, not because absolutely just because you were humble and and you mm-hmm. you sued the let them know, hey, and that may be something that they can't, they have trouble yeah. doing, it doesn't matter, it just lifts that burden out of the, that, yeah. because of that, we talk about that root of bitterness, 
Yeah, well, that, that's just it. We're trying to keep bitterness from setting up where a virtue should be. And in any, any instance, there's an accuser, an accusee, there's a victim, right? It's someone who has made a victim. But it doesn't matter which end you're on. Forgiveness has to be on both sides. If, if you have sinned against me, I still have to be able to forgive you for that sin, right? Or if I have sinned against you, I have to be able to humble myself, like you say, and come and ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. That, that's, that's one of the things that's, that's plain here in this. You know, they, they ask for, for forgiveness, for, yeah. to forgive my death. You know, yeah. give me a chance to make it right. Right. Give me that opportunity to make it right, you know. And so, you know, that's where the forgiveness came in. Absolutely. But this one didn't do it. He didn't you know, do it. He didn't, didn't reciprocate. He didn't reciprocate. And that's that's the whole teaching of this parable is you've been forgiven, you need to forgive. And it's like the other though, you know, if someone's done you something and it's bothering you, it's all right to go talk to them about it. You know, and if they say, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying, you know what I mean, then it's everything's right between you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yep. But that's, that's kind of the way it works. It, it's, it's reciprocal, it's reciprocal it right? Well, the Bible says to, re, to reason together, right? Let's talk about yeah. it. The biggest problem we have is we have zero lack of communication between the brethren. And you assume. We assume, I, I assume Stephanie's mm-hmm. mad at me, so that's just the way or it's going to be. I'm yeah. over it. Or you're over it. Right. The, the problem is, is we've never really talked about it, right. anything, okay? Exactly. And, and Christ was never one to to uh, author confusion, right? God's not the author of confusion. And what does assuming do? It's nothing but confusion. It's mass chaos. Because I ultimately, I don't know Stephanie's heart. I can't look at her and see that's God's business. I need to go talk to her and figure out her heart. Because what does the Bible say? What's in the heart comes out of the mouth, right? So communication. That's why God has developed languages. just... <laughs> Just like that, a lot of times, you know, the the person that you're holding something against, you know what I mean? Say they've done you something you hold against, they they may be just ready to do, you know, yeah. For, yeah. To, to talk to you about it, yeah. but can't bring themselves to it. And, but if you just say something or talk, initiated, that's right. It, well, the, the truths of the Bible ring ring true through every situation, and and when you study to show yourself approved, and when the Bible says that. Our spirit seeks to be in unity with God's spirit. And if we're both saved, we harbor God's spirit within us. That spirit is grieved every moment of every day when we don't reconcile between each other. But the moment we start the process, unity is is being built once again, right? Which is really cool, really cool. That's why the Bible, the Bible says that we're a body, jointly fitted together, right? I can't, I'm no good if I'm an arm, but I'm not attached to the body. And that's exactly what we do. Think of ripping the flesh off of Christ every time we, we, don't, we have unforgiveness in our heart because that's exactly what we do. We've been joined to the body of Christ, and, and whenever I'm out of union, uh, union with him, and with the with the people of the church, I'm disjointed from the body. I, I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm no fit for the kingdom. So Luke 17, 3 and 4, turn there. <clears throat> and we're going to, uh, that was a big introduction for about 15 minutes worth of talking. So y'all ready? Because we are going to tear apart verse 21. Okay, verse 21. Because knowing what Peter actually asked, harbors the question, right? Harbors the question. So, Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, says this, because uh, Peter asked, how often sh- should I forgive, right? How often should I forgive? Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Do you see that there? That's that cheap grace that we were talking about. That's not cheap grace. If if you are in offense, 
if you are in willful sin, I'm supposed to confront you in love, in love, right? But still, I'm supposed to confront you. Uh, and if you repent, then immediately forgive you. <laughs> forgive you. Uh, verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times a day, do you see that? And returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Forgive him. So if there's repentance, if there's repentance, there's forgiveness. Or there should be forgiveness, right? Now we're fruit inspectors. We should be able to discern whether or not there's true repentance or not. This isn't me walking up seven times a day and tripping Ethan and then when he gets up go, sorry, bro. That's not that's not what we're talking about. That's not repentance. Right? That's me bullying Ethan knowing that he's a good Christian and he's going to forgive me every time I ask for forgiveness. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about true godly sorrow as the day you were saved, repentance. Right? I walk up and I trip Ethan and then I, I fall on the ground next to him and I help him up and I say, I don't know why I've done that. I'm, I'm sorry. Right? I, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Right? And Ethan's going to say, yeah, let me trip you, right? No. And then in the back of your mind, you're not saying, as soon as it gets started, I'm going to do it again. That's it. That's it. That's it. But in that, in that same scenario, for true forgiveness to come for both parties, Ethan has to accept that apology, discern that it was true repentance, and then be willing to walk in front of me again. <laughs> right? Trust. trust. Yeah, the trust fall. I guess they're doing that at school because you have to watch Richard Paul. He'll fall in front of you. So if you see him falling in front of you, please catch my son. See, he hasn't learned yet that people can be untrustworthy sometimes. So how often shall I forgive? The Bible says every time there's repentance. Every time there's repentance. While ago, I said, you know, that 490 times. Yes. It, it's kind of like we were talking in class the other day about a day with the Lord is a, a thousand, a thousand years. years. Yeah. That, that's just a way of saying it's no number on it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's just a way of saying it. Absolutely. No number on it. Well, who's. So the old, the old adage of the world is three strikes and you're out. Right? Yeah. But that goes a little further than, than baseball. So. <laughs> uh, in Luke's gospel I got ahead of myself for a second Luke's gospel forgiveness is conditional upon repentance alright in Matthew's Jesus does not mention repentance he, he didn't say repentance in there however verses 15 through 20 the, the church discipline that comes right before this question uh, clearly requires repentance but it clearly requires repentance and Changed behavior. See, that's the biggest thing. It doesn't matter if I say I'm sorry. What matters is what I do from that moment on. Am I truly sorry? Well, then you're going to see it in my life. You're going to see it in the fruit that I bear, right? The fruit meat of repentance. Uh, in the parable, Jesus uses the illustration of forgiveness in the story of two debtors who plead for mercy uh, and that constitutes repentance, right? Remember, the guy laid prostrate. He got as low as he possibly could before the king. Uh, it seems fair to assume then, I know we just talked about assumptions, but we can, in fact, prove that both Matthew and Luke is talking about a situation where repentance is needed for full forgiveness. Now, where repentance, like I said before, where repentance isn't met, we're still required to forgive that person. We're still required to forgive that person fully. But, but, but unity may not be able to be met. Does that make sense? Now, that should be extreme circumstances. Extreme circumstances where we find out that that person has went out from us because they were never of us. Right? That should not be every time me and Brother Travis have fault that we just have to lay out for months. Right? I can't even. Is he going to be there Tuesday night? Because if he's going to be there Tuesday night, I'll wait till Sunday to come to church. Like that, that's not what we're talking about here. <clears throat> so he answers his question How often should I forgive? Seven times? Right? Remember that? He said seven times. So the question that was asked by Miss Stephanie is How patient should someone uh, be 
when it comes to long-suffering, when it comes to forbearance, when it comes to forgiveness, right? How long should I suffer to be among these people? <laughs> so, but remember, Christ even asked that question, okay? So forgive is uh, 863 in the Strong's. It means to let go, to give up a debt, to remit, to keep no longer, to keep no longer, okay? That, that word uh, means several different things, but that is in the context. If you look through the Strong's, if you don't know how to look at a Strong's, you look up the number, and it gives you the, the word, and then you scroll down, and it gives you sometimes a paragraph of where each word is used, and then you, can, you dissect it, and then you find out through the lexicon what it really means, uh, because English uh, only has like seven good words in it, evidently, and Greek has a lot of different words. But in this context for verse 21, okay, that's exactly what the word forgive means, is to keep no longer to give up a debt, okay? To give up a debt, to cancel a debt. How often, that phrase there literally means, are you ready for this? How many times? Okay, so Peter's, Peter's asking, how many times do I forgive somebody? You need to tell me right now, because as soon as I meet that, I'm going to move on, Right? Then Christ gently slaps him across the back of the head. So how many times should I forgive? So how often should I forgive to one who has sinned against me? That phrase is to err or to miss the mark towards me personally. Towards me personally, okay? So we're not talking about me seeing Stephanie and Brother Travis fighting in the parking lot. Okay, I shouldn't run up amongst you at that moment. Maybe there's times when we should. I shouldn't run up amongst you and be like, y'all got to forgive each other right now. Kiss and make up. That's probably not the right time to do that. Right? Now, I should catch y'all privately. Right? We go back to church discipline where I don't make a public spectacle of you the very first time. I say, hey, Y'all need prayer? Y'all need help? We, we start the process. We start the process. So rather than listening to Jesus' answer, Peter assumes his own. Right? He says seven times. That's pretty, that's pretty generous. Right? That's pretty generous. And uh, knowing uh, the, the, the standard that they had, that it was very generous because seven times as generous, the standard was three, even in the biblical times to the Jew. You can read chapters 1 and 2 of Amos, okay? And you're going to see that that is where they got their standard of three times. Three times. Peter senses that Jesus wants his disciples to extend themselves even further, right? We're, 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 we're at that point, even in Mark, where they're starting, they, they've understood Jesus as the divine Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the great priest that was supposed to come. He's here. He's come. So, obviously, what we've been doing isn't up to par. Christ wants to go above and beyond. Matthew 5's already happened. The Beatitudes, you have heard it said, but now I tell you, right? So, he assumes, well, the rabbis tell me three times, so I'm going to double that, and then I'm going to add one for good measure, and maybe, that, maybe that'll be good enough, right? Uh, Jesus uh, tells him, no, that is not enough. The Greek term used uh, here uh, for what Christ says could mean either 77 times or 70 times 7, 490 times. The consensus of uh, the lexicons say that the truer text is the 70 times 7, the 490 times, right? But that really doesn't, doesn't matter. Peter said seven. The standard was three. Peter said seven. Christ said 77, 490 times. The, the, the gist of it is stop counting. Mm -hmm. Stop counting, right? Uh, he does not give us a math lesson. Jesus gives us a grace lesson. So that's what Jesus does. He comes to show the world grace. Who can truly forgive 490 times for the same offense? For the same offense. Some of us can't, 
right? Some of us can. Some of us who can probably aren't keeping track, right? Who can truly forgive 490 times? Who can forgive 77 times while keeping track? See, that's the, that's the thing. Who can forget the other person's sins by putting chalk marks on the wall? You can't. You can't, right? To keep track is not to forgive. It's pretty pretty plain and simple as that. If I'm waiting for you to mess up, you've done did this ten times. Statistics show you're gonna do it again, right? And I'm just sitting there going, Oh, yep, yeah, there it is. Ah, there it is. Ah, there it is. I am not doing what Christ tells me to do. Keep track is not to forgive, but is rather to record the progress. You are now doing the work of God in the wrong way. Who keeps record of everything that has ever happened ever? Who has the authority to hold the books? God, Jesus, right? That is not our job. That is not our job. It's pretty plain and simple when we realize what our position is and what our job is. Our job is to bestow grace and mercy to those who need grace and mercy because we have received grace and mercy. Right? We have received grace and mercy. God will take care of what he has to take care of. Okay. He paid a debt just like that king did. Yeah. You couldn't pay it. No way. That's it. He Jesus proposes uh proposes the complete opposite of what Peter was proposing or what the Jewish tradition proposed or what even our traditions today propose. He, uh, we cannot, uh, it can't be a head thing, right? 70 times 7 is 490. We've, we've all done that in our head a hundred times since we've been talking about this. Some of us from the moment we realized where we were in the Bible, it was 490, like it was there. That was done in our head. Christ proposes that we do it in our hearts, that we do it in our hearts that we don't keep track, but that we do forgive. It's always a heart thing when it comes down to it. <clears throat> the problem rises, uh, the problems raised by Jesus' response, they're serious and they're numerous. There's a lot of questions that come up when Christ tells us that we're supposed to forgive when forgiveness is due. Does, does Jesus require that we place ourselves completely at the mercy of an uncaring and unrepentant sinner? No. He doesn't. We are to forgive that person, but know, mark them, the Bible says, know who they are, know who they are, and let God take over, basically, but we still must forgive them. Does he eliminate tough love situations to, to show problems against alcoholism, addiction, abuse? You fill in the blank. No, he doesn't. There's clear steps given to us in verses 15 through 20, how we are supposed to take care of that. Uh, also, ultimately, knowing that uh, a true Christian probably shouldn't be doing those things to begin with. right? So if you have a problem so severe that it requires the whole church to try and make you understand that what you're doing is wrong, some serious questions need to be asked. Right? Some serious questions need to be asked. There should, within a person, even before, even before the forgiveness process is started, there should be conviction, holy conviction in that person, driving them already to the altar to make things right. Right? <clears throat> Does he require a, a kind of passive grace? Right? That's another question that, that, would, that would make uh, us an easy mark for horrible people? Answer is no again. We're not supposed to be, like I said, holy punching bags standing on the corner going, hey, I'm a child of the God, come take a shot. No, absolutely not. We are called to defend ourselves, but do it within the Spirit. Do it within the Spirit. Show self-control, but also have discernment. Maybe don't put yourself in positions, right? Don't put yourself in places where conflict could happen. Conflict happens. Conflict happens. Sometimes within our own family, sometimes with our friends, 
sometimes in our church, most of the time, most of the time, we're, we're in a place where we probably shouldn't have been to begin with, spiritually, right? Prayer, fasting, reading your word, studying to show yourself approved, thinking on the good things. If you keep your mind set on Christ, a lot of these issues take care of themselves. Uh, we find the answer to such questions in verses 15 through 20 in, in church discipline, right? Where Jesus outlines a process for dealing with unrepentant brothers and sisters, a process that can lead to excommunication. This is a serious thing. This is a serious thing. Uh, Jesus clearly intends for us to take serious problems seriously and to take tough correctional actions where needed, uh, the goal of the discipline is restoration, right? Restoration of the unrepentant Christian. The goal is forgiveness of the unrepentant Christian. That's the goal that we should be always trying to drive to, always trying to drive to. Bring them back into the fold. Bring them back into the fold. Ephesians 4, 32, or 31 and 32 says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's where we should live. Now remember, we're in a fallen world, and we're fallen creation. We do not do this perfectly 100% of the time. We do not do this perfectly 50% of the time. Some of us fail no all of us fail all of us fail at times if we forgive our brothers and our sisters as God has forgiven us how can we keep tabs to justify getting even later the answer is you can you can if we forgive our brothers and sisters as God has forgiven us how can we claim to forgive but not forget you, you're not forgiven like God forgave if we remember if we remember if we forgive our brothers and sisters as God has forgiven us how can we demand recompense for that which we have forgiven we can't can't if we forgive our brothers and sisters as God has forgiven us how can we do anything other than to love them and to find pleasure in the reconciliation that's the thing when forgiveness comes we're supposed to glory in that fact not hold them lesser than they than they were right we're supposed to restore the the goal is to restore them fully to restore them fully now depending on where you are in ministry there's 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 different there's different things for different people Right? If you're a minister, I'm held to a higher responsibility. Right? If I find myself in church discipline, I may be restored to the church, but I may not be your pastor. Right? If, if it gets to that point to where the church has had to confront me on an egregious sin, I probably shouldn't be in leadership. Now, that doesn't mean to kick me out of the church. I can still be a part of the church. I can be sat down and I can be taught, right? But I probably can't be your pastor. Does that make sense? God has placed different responsibilities on different people and he gives us clear ways to, to take care of that. <clears throat> the major purpose uh, served by this radical requirement of forgiveness is harmony within the church. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be unified with the body, right? And we've all said it. When there is aught between us, we're not unified. We're not unified, right? Jesus requires us to seek out any Christian with whom we have issue with uh, in an attempt to resolve those issues. Uh, he also requires us to forgive our Christian brothers and sisters over and over again as long as there is true meat of repentance, true fruit meat of repentance. Just imagine how frequently uh, 
cause of Christ is set back. There's really no other way to say it. We're, we're here to forward the kingdom, right? And when the world looks within the church and all they see is bickering and fighting and, and ought between each other, why would they want to be a part of that? They, the, the answer is they don't because they already have that. They already live in a world where we're cool. Thank you for being in class with us today. Tune in next week as we dive back into God's Word and learn more of Him.